0: Good afternoon, listeners. This is Dr. Bruce Keesling, just a GP, here in the studios of News Radio 650 KENI. Write in with your questions. As I said, these are pre records, and I will get to your questions. If you call and leave a message with my nurse, Michelle, be brief, just give your question. She will not call you back, neither will I, but I will pay attention to your question and I will incorporate it in the program. Also, you can fax your question if you want to give more detail. Don't give a long-winded message to Michelle. Rather, just say, I have a question about this, and you know, Twitter amount of words or less, give it just 20 words or less. Will you ask Dr. Keesling to speak about such and such? If, however, you want to personalize your message more, I've got, you know, Aunt Bertha has terrible gas, and what can I do about it? Then give it all the details that you can, uh, that you're willing to give, And put it in writing and send it by fax to 646-2571. Attention, Michelle and Dr. Kiesling. That fax number is 646-2571. Finishing up the conversation that we were having last week about aspirin. So the, the conclusions are if you weigh more than 70 kilograms or 154 pounds, a, and you are a candidate for aspirin to, uh, to help in the prevention of cardiovascular uh, events, then it won't work if you're heavier than 154 pounds. And you want to look at a 300 to 305 a standard dose aspirin or maybe even higher, and you talk that over with your physician. Who are those folks that will benefit from it? Well, first of all, who are the people that would be harmed by it? if you have declining kidney function tests or there's any concern about your kidney functions, then nonsteroidal anti-inflammatories are contraindicated. You shouldn't take them or you should take them only episodically for an acute inflammatory event and you get off them as quickly as possible. We're talking about taking an aspirin on a daily basis to help with mitigating the risk for a cardiovascular event. So we would not want you to take a non-steroidal anti-inflammatory in any form, whether it's Aleve, Advil, or aspirin, if you have chronic kidney disease or declining functions, number one. Number two, if you have gastrointestinal problems and you have had a GI bleed and you have um, a problem with uh, real symptomatic reflux um, or certainly ulcers, then you want to talk it over with your uh, physician. Now, should you take a PPI or an H2 antagonist, those are the medicines like Tagamet, over-the-counter, Zantac, over-the-counter, or Prilosec, over-the-counter, more powerful to decrease your acid in order for you to take aspirin? Probably not, because taking the, those on a chronic basis have their own issues uh, with uh, risks um, and risk versus benefit. So you really remember, anytime you take anything, it's a chemical and it's going to interact with the other chemistry in your body and that you're taking over-the-counter. Do not ever think that what you're taking over-the-counter is safer than what is prescribed just because it's over-the-counter. It is only safe in the context of your particular physiology. It is only beneficial in the context of your specific needs, and it does serve you well, to have a care and discuss these in detail. Bring all the medicines that you take, not just prescription, but include those that are over-the-counter, all the nostrums, all the potions, all even the aromatherapy. Just bring it to your physician so that we know what chemistry is in play when we're talking to you about therapeutic options that may be in your best interest. So. This should not be a big surprise. We adjust for weight all the time in pediatric dosing. We don't give a a 30-pound child the same dose for their ear infection as we give a a 100-pound child. So the fact that we're adjusting doses, it it should not be. In fact, um, a a one-dose-fits-all approach to aspirin is is unlikely uh, to be optimal. A, A more tailored strategy is going to be required. And this study I think demonstrates that for many medications weight adjustment may be necessary. And while this is the first one to demonstrate this in uh, this dramatically in adults, we're going to have to look we're going to have to wait for further studies. For instance, you decide that you're going to take a z pack a very popular antibiotic that is grossly overutilized and grossly inappropriately prescribed for sinus disease well it's at a certain dosage well you shouldn't take it in the first place for the sinus disease uh, as a first um, you know choice but in any case if you were to take it and you expected a beneficial effect it too may be judged in your own physiology by how much you weigh and it's and it's you know, the product to weight ratio. Okay, it's interesting that the weight cut off of 70 kilograms and there's a little bit of a background to that back in the day and we're talking in the anti-diluvian period. This is before the flood when I was in medical school. The adult uh, that was considered the standard adult was a 70 kilogram male, okay? That's what I try to be, and yet even I struggle to get to that 70 kilograms, so I guess a baby aspirin isn't enough for me because I am, um, you know, four or five pounds heavier than that. Depends on, you know, what I had the night before, I guess. But in any case, that was the standard male for uh, discussions back in the 60s and 70s. Well, that standard male is now closer to, 180, hundred and eighty hundred ninety pounds, and there's a consequence in how bioavailable a given uh, d- drug is going to be. Let's talk about drugs in a different sense. The drug supply middleman. Now think about that, drug supply m- drug supply chain middleman. You know that's that phrase is even more evil than it sounds. I've said this for over 10 years. I brought this up over 10 years ago, that the pharmacy benefit managers, these drug supply chain middlemen, didn't even exist 20 years ago. When they started to exist and intruded themselves between the patient, the physician, and began their program of kickbacks, and that's what they are, Finally, people are recognizing that that's what they are. Kickbacks between the manufacturers, the insurance companies, the TPAs, and even employers sometimes. Kickbacks, okay? Guess what? I told you, 12, um, I, I started talking about this at least 10, 12 years ago. In order to understand what pharmacy benefit, uh, pharmacy benefits, <laughs> Bene- benefit managers, PBMs, let's just call them PBMs. What, give me, let me give you some examples. CVS, okay, is one. Express Scripts is another. Many of the insurance companies, like United, have their own PBM. You know, cut out, they'll cut out the middleman that they create for themselves and a middleman and kickbacks. And that's how United uh, makes, you know, more money and higher margins. But in any cra- case, the pharmacy benefit managers. In order for them to intrude, provide no value, they never have provided value. They have only provided expense, additional layer of expense. And they did not exist, but they, within five years, became multi, multi multi-billion dollar enterprises. They didn't go from non-existence to just small players or even Fortune 500. They went to Fortune 50 companies within five years of existence. The merger back in the day, now about 10 years ago, of MedCone Express Scripts was a $50 billion merger. It was the largest merger up to that point. And we're talking about middlemen who were allowed to have kickbacks. So I told you, why is this, how does this work? Well, I've mentioned very simply, if you want to successfully rob a bank, you have, in order to be successful, you have to get away with it. How do you get away with it? You make everyone an accomplice. And in pharmacy benefit managers, the way they did that was that they got a deal from previous administrations and legislatures that kickbacks were legal for them. It was called a safe harbor, safe harbor, for kickbacks. Now, every other branch of medicine, a kickback is illegal. They're considered fraud. If I were to refer to, a, for instance, a uh, one of the x-ray centers, and they kicked back a fee to me for sending them a patient, that's illegal. Well, it's unethical. We wouldn't do it in the first instance. But, it's against the law. It's a kickback. If a hospital gives a sweetheart rental rate to a physician below the the rates in the community for that same um, class A, class B office space, if they give them a sweetheart deal, that's called a kickback. It's illegal. It's fraud. People will get big fines. Some pe- people can even go to prison for that. But... And even if a pharmaceutical company pays a physician to prescribe a medication, that's considered a kickback. And there are scandals that are dis- exposed all the time where this has been going on, but once it's discovered, it's called fraud. It's a kickback. It's identified as illegal, and people are penalized or go to prison for it. But not so for the pharmacy benefit manager. Now the White House is introducing legislation the White House is introducing legislation, and this, I have to say, this is part of the swamp that absolutely, long before Trump was even uh, in, uh, close to being on the stage, I said, this needs to be addressed. Of course, I'm just a GP, and although there are many of us that were saying this, none of us were consequential in our opinion. The White House now is introducing legislation to eliminate the safe harbor for kickbacks. Now, the publicity available uh, title for this, they haven't given all the details yet, and I hope it doesn't get watered down in the process because of lobbying by you-know-who. I mean, we're talking billions and billions of dollars here. Okay. Removal of safe harbor protection for rebates to plans or pharmacy benefit managers involving prescription, pharmaceuticals, and creation of new safe harbor protection. In other words... We're gonna address the safe harbor nonsense and we're gonna get rid of it, hopefully all of it. But this is big, de- big time deal. So if you happen to, prescri- if you happen to subscribe to the Wall Street Journal, which I do, you see it, it pop up in the business section because this is gonna cause some serious heartburn that isn't gonna go away with a PPI, a Prilosec or something over the counter for the pharmacy benefit managers such as CVS Scripps and Express Scripts. Now, currently, Safe Harbor exempts discounts uh, from anti-kickback statutes. But once they they get, you know, when the Safe Harbor goes away, what these pharmacy benefit managers will become, as they are unmasked, they will become what they should have been all along, low margin claims processors middlemen, who, sh- who should be very, if they, even if they exist, that should be low margin, okay? With the kickbacks, they were incredibly high margin processors, billions of dollars. In addition to that, millions, if not billions of hours spent, and I'm going to tell you, primary care offices throughout the United States dealing with these absurd formularies that were uh, inflicted upon us forced upon us because of the deals that were cut with express scripts cbs scripts any of these pharmacy benefit managers deals that were cut between the the insurance company and the manufacturer via this PBM so that everybody can just you know be an accomplice and rob the public and what do what does the government why does what does any large corporation have the least respect for in situations like this. In situations like this, it's your time. And my time, Michelle, my nurse's time, the folks that we're trying to take care of patients. So for instance, we have a person who has an inhaler that's worked for them wonderfully, and they've tried a number of inhalers, and they find that just this inhaler helps keep them from an acute asthma attack. Well, that individual's insurance maybe changes. And the new insurance company says, "Well, we've got a different PBM, and our PBM says you can't have. We're not going to pay for that inhaler. You have to try these other inhalers. It doesn't matter that we've tried those other inhalers before. We have to go back and try them again. And so you get to feel miserable, either with a new um, attempt at a, for instance." a blood pressure medicine, a cholesterol medicine. And you, we have to work through all these things before we get to that which worked for you before because that's the deal that they had cut between the pharmacy manufacturer, the insurance. Now, they kick back, and they again, everyone becomes an accomplice. This became so bad that even when I tried to address this in the government, even in the state of Alaska, you know what happened? They absolutely ignored me because within the state of Alaska, the pharmacy benefit manager kicked back to the department. And so that created a slush fund for the state of Alaska to, to work with and play with. I don't know what they spent it on, but the point was I pointed out to them that the pharmacy benefit managers and the lawsuits that existed throughout the United States in numerous situations, many states, finally had seen the light and said, no mas, no more of this, and they sued the pharmacy benefit managers. I told you, you don't believe me, then go and Google pharmacy benefit manager lawsuits, and you'll see tens of millions of dollars that has been spent on these lawsuits over the past, over 10, 15 years, since they started. Because once they were exposed, what did they do? They settled. They settled for tens of millions of dollars. Why did they settle? Because they're making billions of dollars, and settling allows them to keep a lid on it. Keep a lid on the kickbacks and and carry on with their incredible gouging and margins, providing no benefit. So the pharmacy benefit managers will claim that they reduced pharmaceutical costs. That's all nonsense. That's all hogwash. That's a steaming pile of poo. And finally, I'm going to say, in this particular instance, I'm, I'm not gonna get political on this program about the blue states and the red states, but this was an incredible piece of the swamp that needs to be drained. I hope when finally the regulation comes out, these guys get taken to the woodshed and that we see that this entire construct, which is absolutely and has always been fraudulent, goes deep six, that it just goes away. And it was on the basis of this that I told you about BitRx over 10 years ago. BitRx was a pharmaceutical, it was a company that you could go in and you could uh, their, to their website, and you could punch in your medication, and you could get a bid on your medication provided to you by mail, and then the mailing was free, and uh, uh, with enormous savings, especially on generic medications, and we talked about it. Well, BidRx... Uh, was, you know, was, did well for a while, but, you know, the, there's a tremendous amount of competition out there, and their idea was absolutely sound, but they had, I don't know what happened exactly to them. I know if you are getting your medications from BitRx, the pharmacy that was honoring them 90% of the time, which was a small pharmacy in Wisconsin, doing a very reputable ethical job with your prescriptions, you can continue to get them through that uh, um, and at that same discounted price. But now um, we are talking about good GoodRx um, and just exactly like it sounds, G-O-O-D-R-X and encouraging you to uh, look into that. Also there are some um, uh, Canadian pharmacies. Uh, that um, when you go to them, they actually provide a product that is, um, um, you know, a sound product. It is uh, not something that's, um, you know, manufactured without any oversight. And we have many uh, patients who are getting, for instance, their uh, Viagra uh, from uh, Canadian Prescriptions, PrescriptionPoint.com or www.CanadaPharmacy.com. And most recently, I saw a patient who was getting a Cialis, which had never been available in a generic fashion anywhere in the United States, also getting it through one of those two sites that I just mentioned through Canada. Now, caveat emptor, I'm not promoting these folks. I'm saying do your homework. And I know that uh, the, some of these sites have absolutely bona fide pharmacies. Uh, that behind them and the uh, bona fide products. But there's also a lot of snake oil out there. And if you um, Google generic uh, Viagra of a genetic uh, Cialis, you're going to get all kinds of websites up there. Uh, have a care about where you get it. Okay. I, I have to say, though, uh, in all honesty, I have a patient who would never ever want me to disclose his name who is a pharmacist. Yes, a pharmacist who gets his prescriptions either through GoodRx or through one of the Canadian pharmacies. So again, we come back to where do doctors get their care and where do pharmacists get their medications and for the most part, we get our care right here in Anchorage because it's excellent, but we can be negotiators for our pricing. But in order to do that, you can't wait until you are in extreme situation, until you are extremely vulnerable. If it's an elective procedure, you know, you can be your own negotiator, and you should be. If, and, and if you do that, you're going to find that a lot of folks in Anchorage now are willing, uh, much more willing, to negotiate with you. You know, the whole issue of transparency. Did you know that transparency is a term? I mean, of course you, you, you would know this, but uh, transparency as a term really wasn't used a lot Uh, Except it went up in its use 400 fold uh, between 2000 and now. Everyone talks about it, but it really only pertains to the transparency of someone else's data. You know, you 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 can't get, you know, you can't get my data because it's the transparency of the other guy that we need to get. Okay, so the. One of the many dynamics that's driving higher and higher list prices is the system of rebates between payers and manufacturers. Getting rid of the safe harbor and the rebates will help restore some semblance of reality to this relationship between a list price and negotiated price. And therefore, it will boost affordability and competition. And that's one of the definitions of, of a working Capitalist democracy is that you have to have competition, and so folks that get all bent out of shape because I talk about, oh my gosh, you know whether it's a orthopedic service or a, or whatever service, medical service. How can you, how can you talk about going and getting um, a some figures and some opportunities outside when um, you know, gosh, we have it right here in the state. Fine. We do have it right in the state but we have de facto monopolies in too many of the specialties and so you don't have competition. You know, you can't go to um, you know a, a variety of different people and get really um, a, a variety of pricing in the con- and you have to of course always uh, come back to is this person less expensive because they're not an A team member? Okay? And I will, again, you know, I don't talk about this uh, in a touting sort of sense, but I know we're the only ones that do it. Primary care associates, we review people's work all the time. There are people who are on the A-team for referrals that are no longer on the A-team. They went to the dark side for, whatever, for a variety of reasons. So we're continually scrutinizing who provides the best care for our patients. And uh, if you go to an A-team, you should be able... Uh, to negotiate or to talk about prices. At least find out what the prices are. At least have somebody in that office tell you what is your co and deductible going to be. What's going to be when you get your shoulder replaced or your shoulder surgery or knee surgery? What is, uh, what is going to be the bill when you are done with that that you personally have to take care of? Now, if their insurance will take care of it, that's the issue between the insurance and the, and the, uh, and the provider and the surgeon. But unfortunately, the intrusion of the middleman here, in the form of insurance, which is unfortunately also never going to go away, um, you know, has created a whole lot of problems. Back in the day, you know, when folks paid by them paid themselves for for their care, um, it was a whole lot more transparent. All right, I want to talk about uh, uh, get back into some nutrition things for a second, and that has to do with fat and protein, and. We all know that what we eat obviously plays a huge role in our ability to regulate our body weight. I've always said that a calorie is a calorie, um, and there may be some calories that create cravings and difficulty holding back, but when you want to lose weight or control weight, it is always portion control. Well, but that, you know, you don't make money on that. you got to, uh, in, in the... Nutrition industry you got to come up with all kinds of fancy things eat right for your blood type paleo diet all kinds of you know absolute steaming piles of poo, but still uh, the uh, They are very creatively touted they're very creatively advertised and people want an easy solution they want to get into a bandwagon and the newness of the bandwagon will perhaps motivate them to get some traction to take better care of themselves and maybe lose some weight. The problem is, of course, not just losing the weight, but losing it safely and losing it in a fashion where it develops a safe health habit that allows you to keep it off. Okay, so during the 80s and the 90s, it was widely accepted, of course, uh, that the most important factor in weight gain was fat in our diet. Okay, will you accept that? Please do. That's factually correct. 80s and 90s, it was fat, but in the new millennium, it was suggested that this focus on fat was misplaced and that it's all about carbohydrates and especially our intake of refined carbohydrates like sugars. There were just tons of hugely popular books published uh, in, uh, right after year 2000 suggesting that eating fat might actually protect us from obesity. Now, then all during this, we had the Atkins and turned to protein. Well, saying that the people eat food mostly to obtain protein rather than energy from the sugars, from carbohydrates, and from the fat. And according to this idea, when the protein content of our diet fails, we eat more food to meet our target protein intake. Okay? Well, then... That makes us consume too many calories and we get fat because we're really driven to protein and that's the, uh, you know, that's uh, the paleo diet is again a steaming pile of poo but, and I can talk more about why it is, but still the premise that we're driven to eating more protein and therefore anything else is um, not good along the way. So that was a problem. So. Since our food consists of fat, protein, and carbohydrates, and at different times all three have been implicated in making us obese, it's difficult to know to stay slim. And I hope I got your interest piqued because I'm going to talk about that, and you might be surprised. Next week, here on the studios of News Radio 650 KENI, this is Dr. Bruce Keesling, just a GP.